After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now, and I'm Raghu Marcus. We have a wonderful new episode coming up today. It's called Love and Incarnation. Kind of a little bit of a strange topic. Actually, when you hear it, it'll all make sense. And I want to bring up something around, uh, which reminds me, around love which is that we are going to be presenting a retreat at the end of April, April 29th through May 4th in Maui. And it's our first time in the spring to present a, a retreat at the uh, Napili Kai, where we do these uh, December retreats, Open Your Heart in Paradise, which many of you are familiar with. And this time it's going to be, Krishnas will be there alongside of Ramdas and Roshi Joan Halifax, who is an incredible Buddhist teacher and very close to Ramdas for many, many years. And Mirabai Starr will be there, who is an author and lecturer, um, does a lot of stuff around the Christian mystics. And um, who else is going to be there? W w you know who's going to be there? Duncan Trussell's going to come along. He's our podcast guru, and we're... He and I are going to do a podcast with Ramdas, and Saraswati Marcus will be doing yoga with Lalita Kate Rabinovich, and uh, it's going to be a grand time. And the subject, which is why I was reminded, is cultivating the courage to love. So I think we're going to have some pretty great teachings around that. And in this particular talk, Ramdas uh, really gets into what love is. I mean, this is such, I mean, our words in the English language, we have, they have become so trite, the word love. And uh, how about guru? Guru is like uh, such a commonly used commercialized term. So it's very hard to convey the reality of, of what these words really mean. And he talks in this uh, talk, lecture, about uh, once the world of interpersonal love ceases to be enough, then, you know, we try and go inward to find that other place where uh, 
love is not a verb. Love is a being, is a, is, is a presence. And he talks about how energy uh, equals consciousness and truth, love, beauty. And at the top of the pyramid, all of these qualities come together and become one. Then, uh, to explicate this, is that the right word? I think. Uh, he tells this, and again, you know, as I've said before, I, of course, having known him as long as I've known him, and listened to talks from all of those times, and now in the, in the job that I have, uh, with the uh, foundation, ramdas.org, of course, I, I continued to hear a, an extraordinary amount of talks from Ramdas. And I'm always finding, not only does he say things in many different ways, although some of the stories, of course, are repeated, uh, the way in which he may say it on any one different occasion illuminates that particular topic in a way that it hasn't been illuminated before. And that's the, the power of uh, repetition at one level and the power of his siddhi uh, that he was able to do this. And in this particular case, he talked about an acid trip that he had. And in that acid trip, he had a book of Mayor Baba's. And for those of you, I think many of you know who Mayor Baba is. Uh, he's my first turn on. I saw a picture of him smiling, and it said, uh, below, the caption below was, uh, Be happy. And uh, I don't know why, but that completely, just his smile and his face, and he's, he was such an incredible being. So in the high part of this acid trip, he was looking at Mayor Baba, and then suddenly he was transformed, or transported, rather, to some Greek hills. And he was walking in those hills, and he was met uh, an old man, not sure who it, uh, who it was. I don't think he knew who it was. And they just stopped for a while and looked in each other's eyes. And he had never seen this look before from this being. This look was to him saying, I am totally fulfilled for eternity, eternity, totally content just to be in this moment with you. Now, any of you who have ever done, Ramdas does this exercise, and uh, we've done it a, a little bit at these retreats uh, with Mirabai Bush. And that is sitting and uh, with somebody, a stranger, and you completely contact that person through eye contact and just be with them. And if you've ever done this exercise, at, at some point, you're, there's a uh, a place that you can get into with this person if everybody's letting their defenses down. And you can get into a moment of just being there in this wonderful ocean 
of being, of just the, with a fantastic feeling of, again, should we call it love? I mean, it's such a, a word, but just being there with this person without any defenses and so on. And then there's a moment where it's okay, it's enough, it, or it's time to go, or whatever it may be, and you pull away. And you can feel the pulling away, or the other person does it before you do it. And you can feel the separation that happens in that pulling away. And he talks about this acid trip where uh, he, he had to turn away. And, uh, and he says, to love somebody eternally means a commitment and time and space that I could not make. I could not understand in that moment that the eternal moment is the eternal moment right here and now forever. But when your head is too full of time and space and interpersonal things, then you draw away and you cannot make that commitment. Uh, falling in love is falling into a bathtub of love. As long as you think of love as a verb, you're thinking of it as something taking an object. When we're in love, we are in a state of being. And that experience we, we had sitting with Maharaji where, uh, you know, not, he barely did any eye contact. He barely opened his eyes. I think it would have been a little bit too much for us to see that light. But, uh, but just sitting in there, because we all experienced the complete loss of time and space, and we were in that eternal moment, which is why it was so powerful. And that is what uh, any of us shares, is capable of sharing, in any moment with anybody else is is the experience of that moment and uh, so uh, an incredible acid trip and i've just uh, reviewed it here for or j just a moment so you'll really enjoy his uh, complete uh, accounting of it uh and then he a little bit about uh, incarnation. This is the incarnation part. Um, the minute we eat of knowledge, and he was referring, of course, to, uh, he made some uh, re references to the biblical, uh, the, the original sin, eating the apple. The minute we eat of knowledge, we get attached to our rational minds, and we experience separateness. And the separateness is finiteness, it's smallness, and it's limited. And again, these are the things that uh, this kind of experience where we completely uh, try to grab on to, uh, once we realize that there are uh, there is another space, there is another dimension that we can access, and we get a little bit of knowledge of that dimension, we then take it and, you know, insert our ego for it to be um, 
a new face, a new mask. You know, we do this all the time. And once we do this, then we create that kind of separateness. Pretty important point, because this is something that happens uh, at any level of the spiritual path, in the very beginning to the more subtle places that one can get into after doing a lot of practice. And then he talks about, uh, this is really the core of the incarnation uh, thing, and this is something that many, many people will, uh, and we've all said this, we've all said, uh, we've all had the question, if, and you can say it about God, if God is real, why is there all this suffering in the world? But in this case, he talks about if your guru, he gets, because he gets this question, if your guru is so all-powerful, why doesn't he end suffering? And Ramdas says here, in order to understand that, you have to understand what it means to live outside of time and outside of space. First of all, you have to understand what it means to see a continuing process of which a human birth is but one very minor segment. I remember reading, there's a book from Edgar Cayce, this just pops in my mind. Uh, it's around Christ, and and what uh, it, it it recounts what uh, those years, the lost years, and uh, when Christ supposedly, and many people believe this, there's even a tomb in North India um, where Christ was supposedly finally um, laid to rest. I don't know how this fits in with the whole Bible thing, but anyhow, uh, in this book, uh, it, uh, somebody asks a Christ, how could there be a just God with all of the suffering and poverty and pain and violence that's inflicted in this world? How can there possibly be a God? And Christ says, said, if you cannot see all the past lives and future lives of any soul, then you can never understand uh, suffering. You can never understand suffering. And I think in this talk, Ramdas talks about something like this, where Christ, uh, somebody says, Christ, if this, this, there's a blind man, and if he, is it, is it what he's done, actions in this life that created this blindness, or is it past lives? And, and he talks about how, um, you know, the church eventually, that, that there w was karma and reincarnation was part of uh, the belief and, and what Christ represented, and they threw it out because uh, it, uh, it completely and utterly changed the... Uh, the possibility of control through the church, something like that. Um, but, uh, I mean, we, we, we experienced this with, with Maharaji, you know, as, we, as well as we all knew the three dimensions. Uh, there, the fourth dimension was the ability of, of a uh, completely realized being to read past, present, and future like a book. And it wasn't a matter of uh, 
any kind of psychic anything. It was just a reality. He would do it with us day to day to day. And that would d- destroy the illusion of there only being three dimensions. Anyhow, great talk uh, that includes really some great explication, I'm going to use that word again, around love and, uh, and then the relationship to uh, our incarnation. So here we are, here and now, with Ram Das, and uh, I do want to thank everybody. It's a, it's a brand new year here, 2015, so I um, want to thank you for all for the support that we've gotten. It's been great in the last year. We have some wonderful projects coming up through the foundation and through ramdas.org. Keep an eye out on ramdas.org. If you're not already, please do give us your email address and sign up so we can tell you what uh, wonderful things are going to be coming in the future. And those of you who can, this retreat uh, at the end of April, April 29th, that's up on ramdas.org now too. Please check it out. We'd love to see you there. And now, Ramdas, here and now, love and incarnations. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Stop for a moment and think about something that you really need to get off your chest. It could be frustration with your job or a coworker. It could be fear or uncertainty about the future. It could be a secret that you've been hiding for years. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Speaking with a therapist on a regular basis is also a great way to improve your communication skills, learn to resolve conflict, increase your self-awareness and self-esteem, develop positive coping strategies, build stronger relationships, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, plus switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramdas. I'd like to um, explore that equation further, that energy is equal to consciousness, and add to that identity further is equal to love, is equal to truth, is equal to beauty, and point out that at the top of the pyramid, all these things come together and become one. So that the highest music is the music is the inner music
And the highest artist is the artist who becomes but the pure vehicle for the statement. And the highest lover is the person who is love. It's strange to be able to say to somebody, I love you more than I have ever loved anybody before. And yet I am totally indifferent to whether I ever see you again. Because the world of interpersonal love ceases to be enough. I first learned this from Meher Baba, who is the personification of pure love. And I learned it in L with LSD. I had uh, taken LSD, and it was after Meher Baba had written and said I could take it three more times. So I took it the first time, and there happened to be a book of Meher Baba's called Listen Humanity. And there was a full-face portrait of Maya Baba looking directly out. And I picked up the book, and it was right at the very high moment in the session. And I immediately was in another place. And where I was, was in the Greek hills. And it was a warm, sunny day, and the flowers were in the fields, and it was quite beautiful. And I was walking over the hills, and I had my little rucksack on my back. And as I came in over the hill, a little old man came the other way, and we met on this path. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and the sheer joy of the beauty of the day, when you meet somebody in those conditions, we acknowledged each other's presence, like loving, open. And I looked into his eyes for but the brief second it takes to pass somebody, and I saw something in his eyes which stopped me. I stopped for that eternal second, that timeless moment, when my thoughts did all those things in a timeless moment, and just as we're passing, and I looked and I thought, what is this look I'm seeing in his eyes? Is it uh, a look of compassion? No, I've seen compassion before. It's a look of wisdom. I've seen old men that are wise before. This is some look I've never seen before. What could this look be? As I reflected upon it in that timeless moment, I suddenly was aware that what I was seeing was somebody looking at me saying, I am entirely fulfilled, entirely fulfilled for eternity to just look into your eyes.
enough. This is complete love, and I am here forever. And nobody had ever looked at me that way before. I mean, people look at you like, let's groove together for a while, or I will love you for now. But for eternity, a totally content, fulfilled person. And I said to this little man in the mountains, in the Greek hills, Greek mountains, I'm sorry, I don't know myself well enough to commit myself to look at you for eternity. But for the moment, I'd love to look at you. And we looked at each other. And sometime later, which was sometime later, when I started to come into another state of consciousness, I suddenly realized I was looking at a book. And I got completely freaked. And in my agitation, I shoved the book, and the book turned so that now the picture of the book was faced this way. And it was aimed directly at a bottle of squirt. And he was looking at the bottle of squirt with, I love you eternally. I could look at you forever. And my ego was shattered. I mean, it's one thing to look at me eternally. It's quite another thing to look at a bottle of squirt. And I brought him back to me, and I looked at him. And I said, I wonder what it must be to be behind those eyes, what it would be like. And I got in behind his eyes, and I looked out, and I couldn't look at anything. Because at that moment, my head was still too full of time and space and interpersonal things. And to love somebody eternally meant a commitment in time and space that I could not make. I couldn't understand that the eternal moment is the eternal moment, right here and now, forever. And that he could look at the bottle of squirt and me and the next thing, and it's all that same place. Because you are being that state of love. I now conceive of the fact that falling in love means like falling into a bathtub of love. That as long as you think of love as a verb, you think of it as something taking an object. When we are in love, it is we are in a state of being. Love is, and we are in it. And his words are, Love has to spring spontaneously from within. And it is in no way amenable to any form of inner or outer force. Love and coercion can never go together. But though love cannot be forced on anyone, it can be awakened in him through love itself. Love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it catch it from those who have it. True love is unconquerable and irresistible. 
and it goes on gathering power and spreading itself until eventually it transforms everyone whom it touches. Aditya Hridayam Punyam Sav Shatru Bina Sharam. All evil vanishes from life for him who keeps the sun in his heart. I am light. I am love. I am consciousness. I am energy. And with that awareness of what I am, then I do what I do, what I do, what I do. And I do what I do without attachment. Can you imagine being loved without attachment? Can you imagine loving someone eternally and at the same moment not wanting to possess them because you appreciate that what that love is, is in you. And when you try to possess them, you are trying to possess your connection to the place inside yourself, just like hoarding drugs. And that is only because the lack of faith does not allow you to calm down enough to go inside to see that you are loved because most of us have grown up in a value system that doesn't allow us to be that beautiful. When it first dawned on me that I was loved, that I was consciousness, that I was light, that I was energy. That other person who was more than willing in life to settle for just a little bit of light and a little bit of love and a little bit of consciousness. At first I said, oh, it's too much. Then the words of Steve Durkee, a beautiful mystic artist who I used to live with, came back to me and he said, don't say too much, say just enough. So then I corrected myself and I said, oh, it's just enough to be that much after being taught we're not that much. I mean, we're coming out of the long, dark night because the illusion is the illusion, that's the original sin. It's the same thing. That's the Garden of Eden, the apple. Because the minute we eat of knowledge, we get attached to our rational mind and we experience separateness. And the separateness is finiteness and it's smallness and it's limited. What does it mean to be this beautiful? Wow. René Dumas, who wrote a book called Mount Analog, had a beautiful image of this. Captain Sogol, 
who was the leader of the expedition, which was a, a metaphor, an expedition to a mountain, and then they climbed the mountain. It was the mountain of consciousness. And he brought them to the shore just before they climbed the mountain, and he had led the whole expedition. And he said, I have brought you this thus far, and I have been your leader. Right here, I'll take off the cap of authority, which was a crown of thorns for the person I remember myself to be. Far within me, where the memory of what I am is still unclouded, a little child is waking up and making an old man's mask weep. Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that is born of the flesh is of the flesh, and he that is born of the spirit is of the spirit. The twice-born shall enter the kingdom of heaven. To be born again means to see through the illusion, to wake up from the long, long, long sleep. Rajiv says, you don't realize your predicament. You are all in prison. In order to escape from prison, the first thing you must realize is that you are in prison. If you think you're free, there is no escape possible. And that is what a human birth in which the veil is very thick means. It means that the person measures freedom in external terms. And in this birth, he cannot awake. Sometimes I lecture to places where the minds are all the minds of rationalists. And I realize that I have nothing to say to them. Because they in this life cannot know that we are one. Because they are attached to their way of knowing. And they want to know what I'm saying within their own system. And that's impossible. It's an unbridgeable, an unbridgeable gulf. To he that has eyes, let him hear. To he that has ears, let him hear. To he that has eyes, let him see. To he who knows, no explanation is necessary. To he who does not, none is possible. 
The Bhagavad Gita says that it is an immoral act to try to teach someone who is not ready to hear. But it's even farther out than that because you couldn't if you wanted to. Just try it. I have explained what I do and what I am into and how it all works to my father at least 50 times. Every time he has friends to visit, he always says, um, uh, Ramdam, would you come down and talk with my friends? Because he likes to show me off since I'm now, you know, a commodity. But, you know, screw it. Sure. Come down, sit by the fire, and do my holy man trip. And he sits there night after night, and at the end of each evening, he just, it's always the same routine. Around 10 o'clock, he pushes himself up out of his armchair, and he says, well, damned interesting. Don't understand a word of it, but it's really interesting. Think I'll go to bed. He's been doing that every time. Every time it's a new story to him, he loves me. We are living in the here and now, present together. It has nothing to do with whether he understands the system. But in this birth, he will not probably become a conscious being. That's neither good nor bad. Once you see that you can look at the whole thing very much, since it's all illusion anyway, you might as well pick your metaphor. You can see it all as like uh, the way ocean gives rise to vapor and mists which rise, which form clouds, which form raindrops, which become ocean. So if the vapor looks at the raindrops and says, ha ha, I'm vapor in your raindrops, or the raindrops looks at the vapor and says, ha ha, I'm, you know. It's all just stuff. It's all happening in illusion anyway. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. We're all here. People say to me, why doesn't your guru, if he's so all fired good, why doesn't he end the Vietnam War? In order to understand that, you have to understand what it means to live outside of time and outside of space, first of all. You've got to understand what it means to, under, to, to see a continuing process of which a human birth is but one very minor segment. The disciples asked Christ about a blind man. Is he blind from this birth or from previous things he's done? Right in the Gospels. In fact, Christ and his disciples accepted the whole idea of reincarnation and karma. And it was only the Council of Trent and the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople in which it was thrown out of the church because it wasn't a palatable commodity for those people who would not wake up in this lifetime. girl came to see me recently. She is a nun, She's a very high nun. She had mystic visions when she was 18, and she thought, well, the obvious thing to do when you have mystic visions is become a nun. So she became a nun, and for 15 years, the order has been trying to convince her that these are egocentric on her part, and she should give them up and 
follow the law of the mother superior, who after all, because she's a mother superior, must be closer to Jesus. The thing that we are facing now is we are facing a situation where because of our the profaning of every social institution with which we are connected. The profaning of religion so that it was ritual without spirit. The profaning of love so that it was passion. profaning of every act, the profaning of music, so that instead of a statement of God, it became a titillation of the senses. We are facing the fact that we have grown up in a profane culture, and we are becoming people of the spirit, but we can't buy into a language because the language was a language of hustle, and it offends us because of our own histories. So when I say, I am a holy man, when I say, I am living in the spirit, when I say, become one with God, we all go through all these funny vibes. Finally, when you see how it is, whether you pick up the New Testament and you read Christ's words or you pick up the Philokalia and you read the uh, Greek Orthodox Christian mystics or you read uh, the Book of Tao, Lao Tzu, or you read uh, Chang Tzu, or you read Buddha, or Ramakrishna, or Naropa, or Milarepa, or it's like you're reading your own words. They're all the same words, and it's all affirmation. It's just like you write with a, you got a, a set of Pentel pens, and now you write with red, and then with blue, and then with green. And you write with different metaphors. It's like the blind men that go to visit the elephant. One guy touches his side, and one guy touches his trunk, and one guy touches his leg, and they come back, and they fight at lunch. And one guy says, well, an elephant is like a tree, and the other guy says it's like a wall, and the other guy says it's like a snake. And that's what's happened in religions. We fight over, is your prophet better than my prophet? Is Mohammed, did he see more? Mohammed, did he see more than Moses saw? And Joshua. And was Jesus really the Messiah? There is just a continuing process of the manifestation of God consciousness or of that first consciousness. Now, just to tell you the cosmic dance of which this is part, let me just create diagrams for your heads to see the, because, well, one system through which you can look at it all is that there are a set of vibrations or frequencies. You can call them the physical plane, the astral plane, the causal plane, and that which is beyond the beyond. That's a good image, the beyond the beyond. In Tibetan, there is a mantra which is gate gate param gate parasam gate bodhiswaha which means 
to that which is beyond the ocean of existence, I give homage. To that which is beyond the beyond, homage. That's the place beyond those three levels. Now, what are those three levels? If you will imagine, you want to say who you are, look at it this way. Imagine, if you will, a light bulb. And the light bulb has three layers of glass. There is an inner layer of glass, a middle layer of glass, and an outer layer of glass. And inside the light bulb is the same thing that's outside the light bulb. Pure consciousness, pure energy. And even these layers of glass are made up of merely patternings of this. And this entire package called this light bulb, imagine now dipping this light bulb into a series of baths, chemical baths. And the quality of these chemical baths is that it does two things. Each chemical bath thins the outermost layer of glass, and simultaneously it leaves on the outermost layer of glass a, a, a film, a pattern-like, which determines when the bulb comes out of that bath what next bath it will be pulled into. In other words, it codes the bulb for what its next bath will be. All right? Now, though the bulb you think of in a physical metaphor, forget that now and assume it has no physical measure that you can, not at this frequency you're used to thinking of as physical. And it goes from bath to bath to bath to bath until it comes to a bath where the outer layer has gotten so thin that that particular bath breaks through and the glass goes poof. And now there are only two layers of glass left. The subjective experience of that poof is, oh, so that's the way it all is. It's the moment of waking up out of the illusion. That's the place. And that means that you are at the point, if you can live in that understanding, if you don't like Ramana Maharshi, you are finished with physical births. Because the outer layer is that set of predispositions which pulls you each time into a physical birth. And you keep going through physical birth after physical birth after physical birth until that occurs, which can only occur in a human birth, and then after that you only have two layers of glass, and then you start birth after birth after birth on the astral plane without a physical body. Until poof, that goes, and then you have one layer of glass, and then birth after birth after birth, and you're now in the causal plane, the world like Plato's world of pure ideas. You're just ideas. It's the subtlest, subtlest world of desire. It's the world in which you are God, in the manifest form of the, the uh, first mover or the Godhead. It's the Egyptian trip. It's the Egyptian trip. It's the trip of the laws of the universe. It's the trip Gurdjieff dug so much. It's the highest place you can get to in the world of form or energy. It's the basic laws of the universe 
from which all the rest is manifestation, the world of pure idea. And you've got one layer of glass then, and finally you go through that enough until you're finished with even the desire to know. And then, poof, that's gone, and then the inner and the outer are one again. Okay. Now, what does the bath consist of in this particular trip we're on? The bath is your entire heredity, your entire environment, it is everything that is happening to you, that has happened, and that will happen to you in this lifetime. And it is all done. You must understand that there are no accidents whatsoever in the universe. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Paralandra, says, he says, there seems no plan because it is all planned. You've got to realize that the cosmic money and banking system is so exquisite and so complex. I mean, you can't even get paranoid about it because it's all and everything. There's no vantage point because even your paranoia is in it. When you conceive of this design, of the fact that there are no accidents whatsoever. For example, my guru said, he sent a message saying, I was not to come to India now, that I would be in India in two years. The wording was, Ramdas will be in India in two years. The wording isn't, I hope he will come, I will write him to come. The wording is a statement, he will be in India in two years. It works like, from our point of view, this is a pen going through a piece of paper. Imagine now that you were this piece of paper, you were part of this piece of paper, and the qualities of your, your qualities as a being under those conditions are that you see two dimensions only. You conceive of breadth and length, but you don't conceive of depth. Okay, you're a two-dimensional being now. And I say to you, what is this? If I said to you, this is a pen going through a piece of paper, you'd say, I'm nuts. Because all you see is a surface, and then you come to a round, flat place where there's a, a couple of round things in the middle. It'll be like a lake. Well, you just see the surface of the lake. You don't see this part or this part, right? Understand the example? We are, to that two-dimensional being, the way at this moment Maharaji is to me anyway. That is, past and future, he is four-dimensional to our three. Past and future, past and future, are right there. They're a solid block to him. It all happened. 
He's just reading it like a book. It's just like the book's been written and you're on page 23. Now, depending on how good your meditation goes or how good your centering goes, you can either be one of the actors, you can be one of the characters in the book, or if you become aware of the illusion, then you can be the reader of the book, or if you center enough to get outside of it, you can be the writer of the book. Being the writer of the book doesn't mean you change the book at all. Because you see, the book is the book is the book is the book. When Ramana Maharshi was about to die of cancer, his devotee said, why don't you cure yourself? You've got all these powers. You can get rid of the cancer if you want to. He says, no, this body has finished its trip. It should go now. And they said, don't leave us. And they started to cry. He said, don't be silly, where can I go? <laughs> and I'm only going to leave you in your head because you identify me that way. That's your illusion. I'm here just going through this transformation. Persian poet Rumi describes the incarnation process. He says, I died as mineral and became a plant. I died as plant and rose to animal. I died as animal and I was man. Why should I fear? When was I less by dying? Yet once more I shall die as man to soar with angels blessed, but even from angelhood I must pass on. All except God doth perish. When I have sacrificed my angel's soul, I shall become what no mind e'er conceived. Let me not exist, for non-existence proclaims in organ tones, to him we shall return. Once you experience and grasp and accept and surrender to and feel in tune with a model of the cosmos, you look at a human birth in an entirely different way. You see, a mother who believes in reincarnation and a mother who doesn't are entirely different positions. Because one of them, in effect, is saying, you are God, I am God. In this particular karmic run, you are the baby, and I am the mother. And I do my thing, and you do your thing. We do our thing, but that doesn't mean we have to get identified with our thing. That's why the Vedas say, when you're lucky, you're born into a family of yogis. 
that could be uh, LSD heads from the Lower East Side or from the Haight-Ashbury at this moment. It's people who see through the illusion, which means they're not going to catch you in the illusion again. You're a child, be a child, act like a child. Who are we this round? This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What do you need to get off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, develop positive coping skills, and much more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramdas.